Hi, I'm Grayson Willis. Welcome to the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Podcasts. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Also, our service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. indoors in English and 11.45 indoors in Spanish. Uh, Well, welcome back. Welcome back to our series. Our series called Thy Kingdom Come. Thy Kingdom Come. We are uh, leaning into the words of Jesus. He taught us to pray. Jesus, the Son of God, taught us to pray. And when he taught us to pray, he taught us to pray in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy Kingdom Come. Thy Kingdom Come. And, And that's more than just a prayer, right? When we pray into that, when we lean into this idea of thy kingdom come, what are we really doing? We're awakening within us this new reality, the kingdom of God coming into our lives. And what is the kingdom? We talked about this last week. What is the kingdom? The kingdom of God's reign, his action, his lordship here in the world. Jesus himself talked a lot about the kingdom, right? Uh, Over a hundred different times in the gospels, we hear kingdom language often being referred to by Jesus himself. And so when we pray this way, when we pray, thy kingdom come, here's what we're doing. We're praying into two realities in our life. First, we're praying and believing that God's kingdom is here among us. The reign of God, his action in the world is here. Now, it can be a present reality in our lives, and we can join him at work. We can have eyes that are open and ears that are open to say, God, where are you at work? Where is your kingdom, right? What did Jesus say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, right? So Jesus was challenging us to pray and believe and trust that the kingdom of God can come right here on earth. And so when we lean into this idea of thy kingdom come, we understand, God, you're at work now. You're at work now. But we also, right, when we lean into this idea of thy kingdom come, when we pray in this way, when we have our lives in alignment with the kingdom, we are also acknowledging that the kingdom is still coming. It is still dawning. There is a moment where the kingdom, we will experience the fulfillment of the kingdom. Where What does the Bible say in Revelation? Where all will be made new. And so as we, as we lean into this idea of thy kingdom come, we are passionate about experiencing his kingdom now, seeing his kingdom come to pass now, and we long for the day to experience his kingdom as it will be. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. As believers in Christ, our lives should be filled with urgency and expectation of his kingdom showing up in our lives. There's uh, two things you should know about me. A lot of things you can know about me. Maybe you should. Two things you should know about me. First, I know nothing about cars. Nothing about them, okay? I know I'm 30 years old, so, so because of that, I mean, there's a few things I know. You know, I know how to drive one. I know where the gas goes. I I know kind of how to check my oil. Like I know where the oil goes and I kind of know how to pull the dipstick out and think, yeah, there's still some in there. I know some of that, you know, but everything else, I know nothing. I mean, literally, I I know nothing about cars. Um, That's it. You want to talk to me about 
um, horsepower and how many cylinders, and I have no idea. I'm lost, okay? I got nothing. In fact, you know, often people will ask you, what's your dream car? And people want to ooh and ah over there. You know what I say? My dream car is? My dream car is like a free car. That's my dream car. You can have your Lexus and your convertible and your Mustang and your, that's all well and good. My dream car is a free car. In fact, my dream car is a working car. That's my car. Four doors, four wheels. It goes from here to there. That's my dream car because I just, I'm just not, I just, I know nothing about cars. That's the first thing you need to know about me. The second thing you need to know about me, this is a little painful to admit. I feel like the Lord has kind of revealed this to me over time, but I'm cheap. Now, good thing my family's not in the room. They might be amening, you know? They might be like, yeah, about time. This is good, right, right? So this is not just about confession. Literally, I've kind of realized in my life I'm pretty cheap. So seriously, though, the Lord's worked on me, on my generosity. He's worked on me, on my, you know, my, like, I'm the guy that sometimes, sometimes is like, do I have to tip 20% to the car side delivery person that brought it out that didn't, yeah, again, if you work, like, I forgive me, you know, because I'm getting there. I'm getting more generous. But sometimes I can be cheap. And this is why I'm sharing this with you, because those two things don't mix well. Because if you don't know much about cars and you're cheap, uh, that could be a bad mix. That could be a bad mix because uh, typically the car that you see me driving around is not very nice. It, it looks like it's falling apart. It looks like, why? Because I don't care much about cars and I'm cheap. Like I'm so cheap. I remember um, we've had a lot of cars that have almost died or have died like seven times and been resurrected. But I remember one time I was driving an old car because again, I don't care about cars and I'm cheap. So it was old and it's falling apart. It was, if you drive an old car, you understand this. It's the moment where you think it's dead and you've thought it was dead five other times, but it keeps getting, so this is the moment where I'm like, I think it's dead. I think it's finally dead. And I remember, this is so embarrassing to admit, my first thought when I thought the car was dead, I was so bummed because I just filled it with gas. Like, that's how cheap I am. I'm like, I just spent $30 on this car. Put it Like, that is cheap, and I'm embarrassed to admit it. But why do I tell you that story? Because, again, if you don't know much about cars and you're cheap, there's some things that don't happen that should be. Like, you're driving down the road and you hear this rattling sound, and instead of like, wow, I, I should care about my car and I should probably get that fixed. That's like, because I'm cheap and I don't care about cars, the rattling sound, I'm like, well, it's not that loud, right? I'll just turn up the radio and keep going, right? There's things that you should probably do for your car, for your vehicle, that you probably don't do because you're, you're, you're cheap and you don't know much about cars. So I say, I, have to say, I have a visual. I'm going to grab it back here to help us this morning as we talk about the kingdom. Uh, imagine now, uh, I do know what this is, right? I said I don't know much about vehicles. I know what the steering wheel is, but there's this thing that you should do, and if you love cars, you know a lot about cars, you are knowledgeable, you understand this, but if you're like me and you don't care much about cars and you're cheap, you don't do this. It's called getting an alignment on your car, right? And I, I literally cannot tell you that I've ever had an alignment on any of my vehicles. Now, some of you are scoffing, and you're, some of you look at my vehicle, and you're like, yeah, we could tell you that already. We know that, right? But I've never, ever, but, but I, I was looking. Do you know every 6,000 miles? Now, I drove a car in the parking lot today. It's got 230-something, so I don't know how many alignments I'm due now, but I'm here to tell you, every 6,000 miles, and some of you are like captain car person, and you do that. Every, you got your appointment. You get your, but I've never done this right? Because I don't care. In fact, um, what is the importance of alignment? Well, I, I, I know practically as you're driving and you're hitting some curbs and you're doing, you know, your car gradually, right, the wheels get out of alignment a little bit. And so literally, I've been, if you want to imagine this being my steering wheel, um, I've been driving down the road and, you know, ideally, right, your, your steering wheel should be like this. 
And if it's like this, you would be going straight. The problem is with my car, because I'm cheap uh, and I don't get my alignment, I'll notice every now and then I'm driving down the road and instead of going like this, and going straight, right? I'm doing this, and my car's going kind of this way. And so instead of stopping and being like, wow, I should probably fix this. I should probably, no, no, I'm too cheap for that. So I just like, well, that's fine. I'll just drive like this, right? Because I'm still going straight. I just got to put the wheel like this. And literally, literally, for those of you that get an alignment in your car, you never have that issue. There's all kinds of issues, though, I'm learning. It affects your gas mileage. Other things in your car start breaking down because you're out of alignment. And literally, like me, you look ridiculous. You're driving down the road like this just to go straight. Why in the world, why in the world, thanks to my friend Lee, by the way, getting me a steering wheel. Why in the world do I share this analogy with you? Because we're leaning into this idea of the kingdom. And for us as believers, that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, why is the kingdom important? Because the kingdom, the kingdom is actually supposed to be our alignment, It's supposed to be what keeps us in alignment. And if we aren't careful, if we aren't careful, if you're a little bit cheap, if you like to cut corners a little bit, you can kind of justify as you get a little bit offline, right? As you get a little bit out of alignment of the kingdom, rather than stopping and correcting, rather than stopping and saying, wait, wait, this isn't good, this isn't right, because it can happen gradually, right? I didn't just wake up one day and my car was like this, right? I woke up and just gradually, year after year, and mile after mile after mile, and so one day I wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm way out of alignment, and for some of us, that's the life and the reality we're experiencing now in 2021. We are totally out of alignment, we're in alignment. What do we use as our alignment? Sometimes our alignment is what, how we feel. We're in alignment with how we feel. We're in alignment with kind of the popular opinion around us. We're in alignment with our social media feed, right? We're in alignment with a political party or a news source or whatever. All these other things we use to align us. When, when Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, he was saying, no, your alignment must be the kingdom. You have to be in alignment with my kingdom. And if not... If not, there's going to be repercussions. There's going to be, you're, you're always going to be a little bit off course. And I don't have to tell you this because we're seeing it, right? Everywhere around us. On the, on the footsteps of the Capitol this past week. You can vote and believe whatever you want to politically. But I'm here to tell you, I was looking at what was happening on our Capitol building, and I was a little bit like, what is going on? And you know what grieved my heart the most? In the middle of chaos and disruption and people beating down windows and doors, someone held up a sign. And on the sign, it simply said, Jesus. And as soon as I saw that sign, my heart broke because we can agree on some things. We can disagree on some things. But clearly in that moment, within my heart, I said, that's not the kingdom. That's not the kingdom. And do you see the danger? Do you see the danger when we get a little bit out of alignment? When we allow other things to be what aligns us instead of, instead of your kingdom come. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, he was telling us the kingdom must be what aligns you. And if not, you're just going to be a little bit off course. And I wonder, I wonder how many places today in the church in our church, in the church universal, if we're not careful, we can be just a little bit off alignment. And so why, why this series? Because we're praying in a new way. Lord, thy kingdom come in my life. I want you to be the filter. I want you, I want your kingdom to be what aligns me in these days. Today, specifically, we're going to lean into this idea that you can't have a kingdom without a king. 
You can't have a kingdom without a king. And we're a little bit unfamiliar with that, right? Because we don't live in an earthly kingdom. We don't have an earthly king. In fact, uh, the monarchs, that kind of idea has kind of fallen by the wayside in much of our modern-day culture. And so even understanding this idea of a king is a little foreign to us. But today, for just a few minutes, we're going to lean into this idea of the king. Because if you want to live in alignment with the kingdom, you have to focus first on who is who is the king of the kingdom? So today I want to look at two, two snapshots. You are likely familiar with them. But I want to look at two snapshots of the king. Who is this king? What is he all about? Snapshot number one is a snapshot of Christmas. And I know you thought we were done with that. Maybe like us, you finally put your Christmas decor away and you're kind of, oh, moving on from that. But if we talk about the kingdom, we, we get really excited for Christmas. And why? Why is that? Because, because at Christmas, the king, right, comes to earth. He enters into the kingdom. The king, God himself, sends Jesus as the king now to enter into the kingdom. And because in Jesus, the king has now come into the world, we get really psyched for Christmas. And for us, we don't let Christmas just be like a one-month reality. And so if you could, put all of those bah humbug feelings on pause for a minute. And look with me at Luke chapter 1. We're not going to camp out there all day. I know we've been there a lot over these last few weeks. But look at Luke chapter 1. Just a few verses here. Verse 30 through 33. And look at, look at the dawning of the king. Right, The king has come. Look at the promise. Look at all that is declared in this moment. You thought your birth announcements were cool, or you thought, you know, the gender reveal party, it's a boy. But this is an angel of the Lord coming and saying, the king is coming. Look, look here, just starting in verse 30 of Luke chapter 1. The angel said to her, who's her? Mary, right? The angel says to Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus, he will be great. Listen to, what, listen to what the angel says about this king. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. What is the angel saying? The angel saying the king has come. The king is coming and, and the kingdom is dawning. And now, not just the kingdom of the Israelites, but, but of all people. Listen, a never-ending kingdom is coming. You can't have a kingdom without a king, right? And in this moment, in this moment, consider for a minute all of the kings that have ever existed in human history. All of the kings that existed before this moment. All of the kings, if you study your history, you know all the kings that would exist after this moment. And all of their power, right? And all of their prestige. And the reality is in this moment, as the angel promises this king, his kingdom will never end. The reality is that this king was greater than all of those other kings. All of those earthly kings, and there were some powerful kings, right? They had some powerful kingdoms. But all of those kings, all the kings that had existed or will exist, this king was greater. Why? Because this king, he's the king with all the power. All the power. Think about it. Think about it. 
What was unique about this king? He was God, right? We believe Jesus was fully God, yet fully man. So as he comes, this king was God. He had all the power and all the authority. A never-ending kingdom. He went on, this king went on to live a sinless life. He was perfect in every way. Though he was human, he was without sin. And this king, right, right, he performed miracles. His power, his authority was evident. What a king. What a king. But you see, there's something that sets this king apart because we're used to, when we talk about kings, we're used to this idea of power. And the fact that Jesus was the most powerful, that's pretty important. But there's something else that sets this king apart. It's not just that he had all the power. It's that this king, he had all the love. All the love. Turn to your neighbor and say, all the love. All the love. It's fun to say, I promise. Do it once, you'll feel good about it. All the love, right? This king, it's not just that he had all the power. This king had all the love. And and pause for a minute, because those two things seem to be in contrast, don't they? Doesn't Doesn't it seem like those two things can't coexist? Because we live in a world, right? where love, to many, seems like the opposite of power. Power, power is lording over and taking authority. And love, to some extent, seems a little bit submissive. It seems a little bit the opposite of power. And yet, in Jesus, in this king, we see a king who had all the power, yet all the love. Look with me, snapshot number two, right? Snapshot number one is Mary there and and the angel promising a king, a king whose kingdom would never end, a powerful king. Now fast forward years later, snapshot number two is another image maybe you're familiar with. It's John chapter 19. This is not the beginning of the king's life, but now the end. And in John chapter 19, Jesus is, has been accused, and he's being brought before Pilate. And we know the story, so we know soon this king will be crucified. But listen, in John 19, as they talk about this king, Pilate took Jesus and he had him flogged. That's like a one sentence, and we could glance over that. But we know to be flogged, excruciating pain, suffering, Literally, when you were flogged, you were told to flog them within an inch of their life. to almost die in that moment. So they had him flogged. And then the soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe. What's the significance of purple's royalty, right? They're clothing the king in a royal robe. They went up again and again and they said, Hail, king of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate, he came out and said to the Jews, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no basis for charge against him. But when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. Here's the king. His crown, though, is made of thorns. His robe is a robe of royalty, but it's a robe of mockery. Right? And as they took his hands and feet, and as they nailed this king to a cross, a criminal's death, a death of mockery, not just of pain and of punishment, but of mockery, so that all that would come by would see. As they nailed him, they put a sign above his head, and you know what this sign said? Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. 
Now, they were mocking him, of course. Yet, a greater irony has never existed. Because as they put the robe and the crown on this king, as they hurled insults on him, as they, as they mockingly put the sign above his head, Hail the king! We know as he hung there, bleeding, suffering, and dying for our sins, he was the king. Why? What kind of king does that? What kind of king has all the power yet gives it up? What kind of king lays down his life for his subjects, for the citizens of his kingdom? What kind of king succumbs to that kind of punishment and death, death that he didn't earn, but submits himself to that? What kind of king does that? A king with incredible love. All the love. Years later, after this moment in history, after this moment that would change the course of history, as the king lays down his life, the Apostle Paul would reflect. And I believe as the Apostle Paul writes this in Philippians 2, he's really reflecting on a king that has all the power, yet all the love. It's here, Philippians 2. I have it on the screen. This is what Paul says. He's reflecting on Jesus the king. And he says this, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What is Paul saying here? What is he saying about the king? He's saying that this king had all the power. He had the authority he sat at the right hand of the Father in heaven. You can't get more powerful than that. And yet, and yet he loved enough to empty himself, to humble himself. Literally, Paul says, to make himself nothing, become obedient to death. Why? Because of love. Because of incredible love. When Jesus was alive and ministering, he told a story as he would often do about the kingdom, these parables, there's about a dozen of them throughout the Gospels where Jesus would tell a story and he would say, the kingdom of heaven is like. And he told this parable, which is an earthly story, but with a heavenly meaning. And so on this particular day, in Matthew 18, Jesus tells a story about a king. That's ironic, isn't it? The king is telling a story about the king. And Jesus tells a story about a king. And the time had come for this king to settle the debts of his servants, of those within his kingdom. One servant owed the king an incredible debt. Such an incredible debt that he could not possibly pay it. So the law demanded, what did justice demand? Well, the justice demanded that this man have to pay everything. He had to pay the debt. So he had to sell everything he had. What did the law require? What did justice require? Justice required that literally his wife, his children, everything he owned be sold off to pay this debt. That is justice. But what does the king give? King, while he would have been just in carrying out the penalty, instead, what does the king do? He forgives the debt. He forgives the debt. He lets him go. Why, why, why does Jesus tell this story? He wants us to catch a glimpse of a kingdom. He wants us to catch a glimpse of a king who has incredible power, yet incredible love. If we want to get serious, church, about pursuing the kingdom, 
If we want to get serious about living our lives in alignment with the kingdom, then we have to understand the importance of living our lives in alignment, in worship of the king. The king who had all this power yet laid it all down to show incredible love. So what does this mean for us? How do we apply this practically? I want to conclude today by talking about this idea. As I was thinking and praying, there's a a, a phrase that came to mind. There's nothing profound about it except that it's true. It's true. You see, I believe this is true for us, that Jesus is the only king that is worthy. If we want to live as a part of his kingdom, then there's a moment of truth for us. And the moment of truth is this, is to live in alignment with his kingdom, is to ultimately declare that he is the only king that is worthy. He's the only king that is worthy. What do I mean? Worthy of what? Worthy of our worship. Worthy of our devotion. Worthy of our affection. Worthy of our focus and our time and our attention. Worthy of our hope. Worthy of our trust. He's the only one who truly has the power to save you. He's the only one who truly can redeem you. He's the only one who paid the price for your sins. He's the only one who conquered the grave. But we have some other kings in our lives, don't we? We have other things. We have other things that we worship. We have other things that we may not admit it on a Sunday morning for one hour sitting in here, but... But our devotion, our affection is given to so many other things, isn't it? And when we, when we declare thy kingdom come and when we want to live in alignment with the king, what we're saying is, Jesus, you're the only king who's worthy. There's nothing else in my life. There's no other king, lowercase k. There, there's no other kingdom, lowercase k, that's worthy of my life and my affection and my devotion. I want to seek first your kingdom because you're the only king that's worthy you're the only king who is worthy how do you know how do you know in your life if you understand jesus as king how do you know in your life if you're living in alignment with the king of the kingdom here's a couple practical things i believe you you know and understand jesus as king if worship takes priority in your life Worship takes priority in your everyday, ordinary, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, life. Worship is a priority for you. What does that mean, worship? It means that everything in my life, I want to point to him. I want to honor him. I want to lift him up. There's all kinds of things we could be lifting up and exalting and glorifying. But I want him to be the thing I glorify. I think that shows an alignment with the king, right? What else? How do we know that we understand Jesus as king? That obeying him, obedience to the king matters to us. That matters to us. It's not like an optional thing. It's not a thing for some people, but not others. Obedience to the king, it matters deeply to us. We care deeply that our lives are in alignment with what the king says about us. That you rest in the knowledge that he is in charge. Parentheses, you don't have to be. Man, that's real easy when everything in life is going well. It's a lot harder when it seems like everyone's acting a fool around you and the world has lost its mind, right? right? But even in that, to live a line with the king of the kingdom, you rest in the knowledge that he 
is in charge, finally, you focus on others before yourself. You focus on others before yourself. Isn't that what this incredible love of the king did and what we desire to do? So what is the opposite of that, right? How do we know that there's gaps in our understanding? How do we know that there might be some other kings, some other kingdoms that we're pursuing in our lives? Well, I think the opposite is true, that worship tends to be just a Sunday morning. Worship tends to be an event-centered thing in your life, that you prefer having things your way all the time. Your life is a constant battle, a constant tug of war between obeying God, but but God, I also want things my way. Prayer for you. Again, if we're living just a couple degrees off alignment, prayer is a last resort after you've tried to fix things on your own. Or I, I put it this way, often we ask the Lord to bless what we have going on rather than saying, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what it means for us to live in alignment with the kingdom. So today, we're going to close. We're going to spend a few minutes reflecting, tuning our hearts, uh, making sure that we are in alignment with this king, a king who had all the power, but yet a king who loved you enough to empty himself of all his power and lay down his life for you. What an incredible king. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.